come in a very pleasant good afternoon to you wherever you may be. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. My name is Chris Camacho and I'll be your host this evening from the best seat in the house here at V89, alongside a very talented group of reporters, journalists, and sports enthusiasts here to give you the best and hottest takes this side of Tallahassee. That all being said, we've got a very big show for you today. Uh, we'll be discussing Florida State's victory, uh, as fortunate as it was, over the Louisville... Extremely fortunate. <laughs> over the Louisville Cardinals, and then the second half is all October baseball, baby. That's my favorite. <laughs> for those of you joining us... Oh, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited to get this show going. Looking forward. It's, it's uh, We've got a lot to talk about, and I'd like to start by pointing out the obvious. I'm not the usual voice you're used to hearing at the top of the hour, and that's because, my friends, my co-host today is Nicholas Carlisle, the Crimson Chinstrap, as oh, he's no. otherwise known. Yes, that's right, I'm bringing that name back. You know, I thought I thought that nickname went out with the old regime, and I, I might know. not make you the host anymore if you, <laughs> use, that, if you use that quote again. But well, uh, you can't make fun. This thing... <laughs> This thing Listen, has I been shaped. I know, but it's it's just like. Well, wouldn't you want a name like the Crimson Chin Shop to describe? I don't know. Like maybe it's just the generation that I was brought up with, but I just always think of uh, fairly odd parents. The Crimson Chin. In the Crimson Chin, and, and I don't know where that comes from. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and it's like, well, it's it's is my face really that red? And I just <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's one of those sad moments when you wake up in the morning with when you don't have your coffee yet, and you just look in the mirror like, do I really want to do this today? But <laughs> such is the life of Nicholas Carlisle. Yeah. Uh, well, either way, <laughs> thank you, Bud, for giving me this chance. Really looking forward to it. Uh, how are you feeling today? I'm am f- feeling I'm feeling really good. I'm excited to see what you have today. Uh, give me a chance to sit in the uh, well, definitely the same chair, but a different spotlight. See what still see squeaky. what you still a squeaky chair that we don't have a nickname for yet. But um, I'm both excited to see what you have, and also very nervous because it is is pretty well known that I'm not exactly the big, biggest baseball guy in the room. So I'm I'm very nervous to see what you throw at me to try to make me slip up today. And we'll be sure to give you. Uh, uh, do credit whenever uh, you answer. I expect a, I expect a round of applause and maybe a laugh track. Can we get a soundboard <laughs> up in here? I don't know if that's... That would be fantastic. you got to take that up with could. Misha. Yeah, seriously, get that in the budget. And of course, what is a skipper without the rest of his crew? Gary Putnick, the Marlin Boy Wonder, is here with us today. <laughs> Gary, in one word or short phrase, give me your evaluation of Derek Jeter in his inaugural year as owner for the Miami Marlins. It went exactly how I expected. We didn't lose 100 games, like I said, in the studio at the beginning of the baseball season. Some things differed from how I planned, like Lewis Brinson not playing to up to my expectations and Brian Anderson coming out of nowhere and having a pretty darn good season. But I think it was overall a pretty good year and a step in the right direction for where we want to be down the line. That was an awfully long, short phrase, but thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, um, do you feel that the, that the moves – Jeter made in the off season, like did that pay off? Are you excited? Are you happy with how the season went and maybe the direction that the, that this team is going? I'm happy with the direction that this team is going. I'm one decision that I was kind of questionable on midway through the year. I was fine with everything that happened and went down at the beginning of this season, considering we had to get rid of a lot of players to try and make a rebuild actually work. Sure. But one decision that I was kind of uh, interested in, one questionable that we didn't make, was kind of getting rid of JT Real Muto because. It could have went either way for us. The Nationals wanted him, and they were kind of iffy on making the pulling the trigger on getting him because they were deciding if they were going to make a run at the playoffs, which didn't happen. That's really why we didn't end up getting Hansel Robles and maybe Juan Soto and some other guys. 
So, but I'm I'm happy with the way that we're going. It's gonna take it's gonna take a while. I'm at least I said at least five to six years before we're back in playoff contention. Wow, that's some might say that's optimistic, but I'm holding out for you guys. I I I, I wish the Miami Marlins and uh, the and Jeter the best. And the, Jeter, we trust you. The 200 yes. fans that actually show up to watch the games. <laughs> It was, so, fun. it was fun this season. It was, it was fun. It was fun. So, Gary, you're a Marlins fan. Nick, you're a Marlins fan as well, correct? Yes, I am a Marlins fan. I actually I actually sung the national anthem at a Marlins game. Did you know that? I did not no, know that. No. In, in, in high school, uh, I was part of a very good acapella choir, one of the better acapella choirs in the, uh, the southern half of Florida, and we uh, got tickets to see the game and you know we we were asked to sing the national anthem and it was just a very surreal experience as i said again i mean there were more fans <laughs> watching that game than i'm sure we're watching the, the 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 marlins this season but it was just a very surreal experience and uh uh it's one that i'll never forget it's uh, it's not really a fact that i share a lot so you guys are special That's was it great. at sun life or at marlins park uh, no, this, was, this was at marlins park okay this is right. marlins park so coming up later on a segment uh tomahawk talk nick carla will be singing for you all no i'm kidding i won't put you on the spot <laughs> like that but uh, so we got two Marlins fans uh, in the room, but you know what's really hard to find around here? A Dodgers fan, a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. You know what's even more rare than that? Two Dodgers fans in one room. However, one of us does not hail from the West Coast. No, making his Tomahawk Talk debut with us today, Mike Peterson hails from the great city of Vero Beach, Florida, otherwise known as Dodger Town. Mike, by chance, do you happen to know why it's called Dodger Town? Well, they had spring training there for over 60 years, back when Jackie Robinson was playing there, and moved in 2009. Good man, good man. Knows his stuff. <laughs> um, so just out of curiosity, because I, I actually come from Los Angeles, where everyone and their mother is a Dodgers fan. Mm -hmm. So for you, I'm curious, who got you into being a Dodgers fan, and what was that experience like growing up a fan of a Los Angeles team in Florida? Um, I'd have to say it was my dad. He grew up... Um, in Iowa where they had no pro sports teams and they were hot around the 80s so he decided to stick with the Dodgers and chose them moved down to Vero Beach to marry my mom and then raised me brought me to all the spring training games met Tommy Lasorda wow. multiple autographs by Clayton Kershaw getting to see Sandy Koufax it was just surreal and when they left I stayed loyal nice well you know if you ever want to share one of those signed Kershaw balls with me like that that'd be cool too I'll, he's I'll, the I'll only guy that signs balls for people in miami for sure though really yeah huh i didn't think about something like that i've i've actually no that's not true i did get a chance to be in the same room as kershaw this past summer during my internship but uh i'll take an autograph over that any <laughs> day of the week <laughs> he looked at me he looked at me he looked at me <laughs> <laughs> and last but certainly not least the prodigal daughter returns to v89 <laughs> And making her, I found this out before the show, she's making her first uh, appearance on Tomahawk Talk today. She's skilled with the quill when she's writing about Florida State athletics, specifically uh, Florida State football and as of late basketball. She graduated from Florida State this spring, and we're very excited to have her here with us. Catherine Wright joins the show. Catherine, thank you so much for being here. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me, Chris. Of course. So, as I said, you graduated in the spring. Um, but you have been busy ever since graduation. Yeah. You've been writing for the Orlando Sentinel, covering, as I said, Florida State Athletics. How has that experience been for you? It's been eye-opening for sure. Um, I started out as a stringer, so that is mostly just taking quotes and I'll like write some features here and there. But then um, the actual, the, the guy for Florida State, for the Orlando Sentinel, actually got a job with Miami Dolphins. 
so then that like forced me to go into this you know I'm not technically a beat writer it's not my title but it's pushed me into that position where I have to take on all this uh, all this, all this that's, that's staggered all this that's basketball right. you know but hey football. that's how these how that's how these opportunities and how people move yeah, up exactly. in this industry it's 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 a tough industry to get into and and you're killing it so far I love all the work that you've thank been putting you, Chris. out so thank you and with that you have the voices of Florida State now and we're ready to get this show on the road so as we mentioned, Catherine writes for uh, for the Orlando Sentinel regarding Florida State athletics and Florida State football had a big time victory uh, this past uh, this past weekend. A game that not many people expected us to come out alive. And honestly, if I'm being frank, this is a game that we should not have won. It was <laughs> Florida State caught a lucky break uh, from some questionable play calling on the Louisville sideline when Jawan passed from the seminal 19 yard line, less than two minutes left in the game. All they had to do was run the clock out, just run the ball. And uh, inexplicably, Jawan pass throws an interception to AJ Westbrook, which then shifts the momentum of this game in favor of Florida state reminds you of a certain Seahawks quarterback and a certain Super Bowl 49 <laughs> making another questionable pass to end the game. Uh, Nick, what, what are your impressions coming out of this game? Well, I think you're absolutely right. This is 100% a game that Florida State should not have won in any capacity, but this was not a, a, this was for a couple of different reasons that we haven't yet seen this season. I thought the officiating was really poor this game, and you know it, it's not like the salty fan to say, well, this is the ref's fault that, <laughs> that Florida State is losing this football game, but no, there was a, a couple of missed calls. There was a couple of early missed pass interference calls, and I think I messaged you during the game, and you and, you and Grant had said, I think we're watching the funeral of all holding and pass interference calls because <laughs> I, when I tell you that there were a couple times when I don't know if it was Nyquan Murray, I think one of them was George Campbell for sure um, where he was just doing a simple cross route across the middle of the field and the Louisville linebacker literally just gave him a backwards bear hug and it wasn't called and then of course you had the pass interference call at the end of the second quarter on Asante Samuels Jr., that wasn't that I think that was perfect defense and they called that and then Louisville got a, a garbage a garbage time touchdown at the end of the second half that really put Florida State in a hole but they ended up clawing their way out of it and again it's a game that they shouldn't have won given the circumstances uh but it, it was a it was an interesting game for a lot of reasons I mean for except for Landon Dickerson, Dickerson's a couple of false start penalties this was a relatively clean game I thought Florida State definitely cleaned up the very stupid penalties that they've been having the defense was probably the best part of I think and you, I, th I think you're going to disagree with me on this, but the defense was definitely one of the better parts of this game. It was the offense again that we that that was really struggling for Florida State. But give credit where credit's due. I don't think that any Florida State fan is going to say, "Well, I don't want this win." You know, a, a win is a win. Uh, but it's I, I feel I feel like. Being the host, I've said this a lot over the past couple of weeks. Is that it's 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 a very joyless victory, and it's probably now on the top side of the rank of joyless victories that Florida State has had this season. Interesting. I don't I don't know about joyless. Listen, because as you said, I think we'll take any win we can get. Oh, duh, believe me, I was jumping in my living room. <laughs> uh, may or may not be influenced by a little bit of alcohol, but uh, that being said. Sorry, kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think you're right. This isn't a victory that Florida State fans can come away with and say, "Wow, that was a great win for the Seminoles." It's it, it was it was a tough win. We're glad we came out on top of it. You know, even AJ Westbrook 
was like, I cannot believe he threw the ball, but oh well, is really <laughs> is really the way that we're looking at this. Going back to the officiating, and you mentioned the person I was about to, to talk about, Landon Dickerson was a little was a little confused with some of those calls. <laughs> a lot of false starts, as we mentioned, but you know that's that's your typical Florida State offensive line. However, this offensive line did show up a lot more than it has this uh, in in the entirety of this season so far wasn't perfect but Catherine we also saw DeAndre Francois not get sacked for the first time all season not throw an interception for the first time all season and that is something really significant because we're always worried about Francois's health so what is it what changes did you see in the offensive line uh, that we can see going forward well I definitely think you know having Landon Dickerson back in the lineup is is huge um and the the communication was there I thought because you know the team the the guys didn't swap out they didn't rotate at all this you know it was Dickerson Minshew Everly Arnold and Scott and that was it throughout the they they threw a complete game <laughs> so to speak um so and I also think I think they're getting better I think this this next game at Miami, I think we could possibly see Derek Kelly come back um, and swap him in for maybe Mike Arnold at, at right guard. Sure. Um, and I think that it's only going to get better. People are only going to get better, you know, with reps, game time, reps, and all that stuff. So I don't, I don't know. I think it's going to get better. But I think, you know, as far as linebacker and special teams and all that stuff, it's still issues that have to be. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. No, especially as you mentioned at the linebacker position. Louisville, as, as, as great as our defense played, the middle of the secondary is something we talk about every week on this show. They continue to exploit it. Really, I mean, and, and the, the commentators even mentioned that, how I think Louisville ran the same play twice in a row, and it just happened to be on a bad pass that there wasn't a downfield shot for, for a touchdown. I almost said for a home run. Sorry, I'm still in baseball hey. mode. <laughs> I did it too. <laughs> um... But this defense, this defensive secondary is something that still needs to step up. Gary, who is it in particular that you feel has either stepped up or is leading in that secondary role and maybe needs to take more of a leadership position? I feel like it's been Kyle Myers so far this season. He like Everyone expected Levante Taylor to be that guy right. in our secondary this year. But other than that one pick six against Sanford, I feel like he really hasn't shown up. But like Kyle Myers, every game. Virginia Tech, he was there. He was making plays. Uh, what was it? Sanford making plays. He's there. He's all over the place. But Some big tackles. Yeah, big. that's the one thing that I've been concerned about our secondary with is tackling because it feels like a lot of time they're just trying to go for arm tackles. They're not trying to hit the guy, hit the guy like Derwin James did a lot last mm -hmm. season. Right, absolutely. Um, going back to the offense, you know, I think one thing we saw out of DeAndre Francois is, again, credit to the, uh, to the offensive line. We can see what he can do when he's given time to make plays. And he can make some big plays. He had two 50-yard passes, both for touchdowns. One was to Nooney Murray, and the other wasn't Trey McKitty, was it? Terry. Yeah. Tamari on Terry. Although Trey McKitty did have a, a, he had a fantastic yes. touchdown grab. He's going to oh. be incredible. Incredible. And you know, he's only a sophomore. Exactly. So. Exactly. And I, I think, again, if I'm still if I'm thinking in baseball terms, because I'm primarily a baseball guy, you know, I think... I think of um, of the battery, what's known as the battery in baseball. You've got yeah. your pitcher and your catcher. I think Francois and guys like Nooney Murray and guys like Tamari Terry, they just yeah. have that connection, that unspoken connection that when it's clicking and when they have time to click, 
man, this offense mm-hmm. can be dangerous. Granted, we're still waiting for that to be to happen on a consistent basis. But Mike, I'm curious. Do you think Francois can make those adjustments uh, that he needs, and, and can he continue to show that consistency going forward to lead this team into maybe more of a high-scoring uh, offense? I think so. I think he has the talent, especially if he played at a program like Alabama or Notre Dame. He could easily shine there as a star, but just the production hasn't been there, not much chemistry. But with Nooney Murray, he's been playing with him since he was a kid growing up in Orlando. So it's only going to get better with them, and you saw that connection with Murray today or Saturday with just the six receptions, um, all big plays. He has big play potential, but um, sometimes it's play calling too um, that hurts us. We called a little bit. Um, too many screenplays, um, but overall, I think Francois is going to keep going up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, play calling is something that Florida State fans have been talking a lot about. A lot of run plays. I, I saw this stat when I was doing my research. Uh, on average, over the last five games, when Florida State's rushing, we're averaging 2.8 yards per attempt, which is awful. That's pretty bad. That's <laughs> It's not good, I'll tell you that much. Later. Especially especially for a program that has been known for running the ball and Absolutely. continuing to run the ball. That was Jimbo Fisher's calling card, and that's supposedly what Willie Taggart wanted to do a whole lot with this with this new West Coast offense, but it just hasn't materialized. I want to touch on, on the play calling because that was where I was going uh, before I realized I was talking a little bit too long because <laughs> that's kind of the host in me. But regardless, you know, the play calling is something that we've we've talked about a little bit on this show, but it hasn't been the, the forefront because – and I think that's because we haven't seen enough to, I guess, get a firm picture of what the offense is supposed to be. You know, we, we the, the play calling has really been an issue all season, but it's hard to get an idea of how big of an issue that is when you're you're it's your first five games of the season and you're getting blown out by Virginia Tech. You're struggling against Stanford, and then uh, Syracuse comes in and does a number on you. So I think with this game coming coming off of the fact that Florida State was able to come back and win this game, you see how much of an issue the play calling is. I don't know if it's Taggart doing the play calling. I don't know if it's Walt Bell doing the play calling, but the play calling itself almost lost Florida State this football game. There were so many times when it was third and I think probably like seven where they opted for the same run to the right side with Cam Akers that they've done seven times and the previous six times that they had that they'd done it, it was ineffective as well. Look, look, we, we, we talked a lot about how the wide receivers were the unproven commodity of this football team at the very beginning of the season. They are the playmakers of Florida State right now. You know, Cam Akers is the five-star. Cam Akers is supposed to be the star of this of the, of this offense, but it's just not working. The star of this offense, the best player on this football team right now is DeAndre Francois, and it was quite frankly irritating me, Chris, of how sometimes the, the play calling just refused to put the ball in Francois' hands. Well, I, I can't tell you how many times this game that when, when it was third down, even fourth down, and all, all I kept telling my friend Andre that I was watching the game with, Oh my God, they're going to run the ball. Oh my God, they're going to run. Because you almost expect it. You expect them to. I understand this is a run heavy offense. Um, that's just what Taggart's West Coast offense does. But it's it's a little frightening when it gets to the point where, you know, they're running these plays that you just know you shouldn't be doing on a third and fourth down. But granted, give credit to Taggart. He did make those adjustments. Every time I was like, oh my God, they're going to run it. It would be a pass, a pass play or maybe like a, a play fake. No, not a play. Uh, 
Play action. Play action. Thank you. That's what I'm there thinking of. Yeah, but going back to what I was trying to say at the beginning of this whole spiel, it, 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 it takes time to figure out with this offense what is working. And now five games into the season, you know what works. And it becomes a play-calling issue when you know it works, and yet you refuse to call those plays. What has been working for Florida State this season has been quick passes out of the, out of the, uh, the backfield. That's what's been working. Now, granted, the screen the screens weren't exactly working that well, but I'm not necessarily talking about the screen the screen plays. I'm talking about the short slants to Nyquan Murray. I'm talking about the the, the, the corner routes, passes. the sideline passes to Trey McKitty, and uh, I mean you can have all the fancy plays. Treshawn Harrison has had a couple of. I mean, we, we saw a little bit more of him in this game. He's had some fantastic plays, and I think he's going to be extremely good. But you need to get the ball in the hand of your playmakers, and the key word is playmakers as in plural. It can't just be cam makers. You need right. to give DeAndre Francois a better chance in the upcoming weeks, especially against a very good Miami defense, to throw the ball very quickly if Florida State's offense is going to be predictable as it's been all season, and you know that they're going to run the ball. This next game, this Saturday, is going to be a very hard game to get through. One thing that stood out to me in the post-game interviews was when uh, Dontavious Jackson, a linebacker for Florida State, he commented saying that he knew he was... This was when Louisville had the ball in the 19, right before the interception. He was like, I was dog-tired, is what he said. I was so tired. But as soon as A.J. Westbrook made that interception, the team just came alive. And what I'm curious, uh, Gary, is whether or not they can take this momentum coming after that interception. Can they bring this momentum into this Miami game? A very, very difficult Miami game that has probably, I think, Catherine, you said before the show, is the second best defense in the country. A really difficult defense to go up against. I think they should be able to keep this momentum going because it is a rivalry game. You, everyone gets up for rivalry games. Like I drove when I was coming to class this morning. I drive I drive uh, to Pensacola Street to Stadium, and I got to the intersection on Pensacola Stadium, and I see the two hur- the hurricane flags <laughs> up in the end zone there, and like you know, it's rivalry week. It's time to go, get up and go. With it. So I think they're going to be able to get going for this one. And there, yeah. So. Talking about the Hard Rock Stadium, the Knolls have won seven straight games there. Seven straight <laughs> games at Hard Rock Stadium, uh, including uh, the win against UM in 2008 and then the Orange Bowl victory against NI- NIU. So. Um, you mean Michigan? Yeah. Michigan, the Orange Bowl victory against... There's NIU and Michigan. Nah. NIU and the Michigan? Time, no. The first time we ever played NIU was the first time. Orange Bowl. Okay, am, am, I, am I just crazy, or did we, not, just... did we not play Michigan? The point is we win a lot in the Orange Bowl. But yes, there's we we have a lot of success going over. Uh, don't don't tempt fate here, Chris. I, I'm gonna. I'm not. I'm not making any calls. We're not at the prediction part of the show just yet. But there is a lot going in favor of Florida State again. Hoping, as Gary said, that we can take that down south with us. Uh, this week we face the Miami Hurricanes, who are four and one and one and zero in the ACC after destroying. Uh, the UNC Tar Heels, I believe it was uh, 47 to 10. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Just, I mean, granted, UNC is not the best team, especially after losing Mitch Trubisky. That's, you know, that's a big loss for them. But I'm just curious, you know, does it favor the Seminoles to have played a difficult schedule coming into this game? Because, I mean, Miami's played, uh, I want to say they've had a cupcake schedule going into, uh, with the exception of LSU. LSU. <laughs> after LSU. Which no one expected. No, no one no. expected. But after LSU, they've been blowing their opponents out by major deficits. So I'm curious, for anyone who wants to take it, does Florida State have an advantage having played these more difficult opponents? 
Which which opponent are you referring to as being more difficult? Virginia Tech, uh, I mean, Syracuse gave Clemson a scare <laughs> right. this weekend. And Syracuse has probably been the... I, I think that they're an extremely strong team. I think Virginia Tech might have been overplayed considering how, how horrible Florida... I think I, I still stand by. I think Florida State lost that game more than Virginia Tech won that game. Sure. But I, I really think that Florida State playing a quote-unquote stronger schedule isn't going to give them as much of an advantage as you as you might think. Um, well, no, I'm not saying that's what. I'm well, saying. well, I, I, well, the Let's answer, the answer, I, I don't think it gives them an advantage at all, especially when you consider how poorly they played against the teams that should have been cupcake games. Yeah. You, and I always will point to the Sanford game. Sanford is a is a a, a playoff team in the FCS, or or, or, or they should be, but. It's it, it it doesn't lead to the fact that Florida State has any advantage over Miami because Miami played a, a quote unquote weaker schedule. I think something that Miami definitely has in the corner is the fact that uh, Malik Rozier probably won't be starting this football game. Oh really? I I think so. I think they're going to. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of Miami's quarterback here, who played versus uh, la, 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 UNC. You can come back to me on that. <laughs> yeah, but okay, so. Now we'll get into the more predictive part of, of the first half of the show. I'd like to call it on the line only because we're going to be referring to the line that the sportsbook uh, have posted. So the sportsbook have Miami favored to win by 12.5 points. Uh, Gary, how do you feel about that? Uh, I'll take Miami minus 12. Minus 12? Minus 12. That's... That... It's not too much to where I would even... Con- I think once you get to, like, 17-plus, then I'd start thinking about taking Florida State. Sure. Okay. Uh, I'm, I, mm, conservatively, I think Florida State loses by maybe two t- two touchdowns. I wanted to say three, but I know that was a little harsh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, we're not here to be nice, right? So. <laughs> Florida State's coming into this game with some momentum, but... Um, I think our defense is not good enough, especially in the past defense. Um, we've been getting torched, um, especially by Louisville this past weekend. Um, I'm going to take Miami, too, by the spread. Uh, that offense needs to get going. The running game needs to get going, especially with Jaquez Patrick. He came back this year hoping to get more uh, production, and it just hasn't been there. Nick? This game has a lot of implications for this Florida State football team. This is a game that this is probably, despite the the teams that they've already played this, this is probably the biggest game that Taggart's had to play so far just because of how much this game means to both programs. That being said, Florida State is not going to take this game lightly. I don't think they've taken any game lightly like they would have in past regimes. But that being said, I can't. I can't take Florida State in this. I I, I agree with with uh, Gary. I'll, I'll take Miami by the spread. Yeah, I as well do not have Florida State taking this game. However, I'll be a little bit more of an optimist and say we'll lose by ten. Lose by ten. <laughs> lose by. I mean. It's not great. Not a great differential. Well, but. nothing is going to beat the hot take of of the fifty to forty that Grant Breckheisen dropped. Uh, I know. I know. I know. We mention that every week. But really when you when you make me probably the most agreeable person uh, that you that you may meet, if that makes me push back away from my microphone <laughs> and scream, "What the heck?" Uh, that's the PG. That's the PG want. version. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. Either way, we're, we're about to head into the half here. So Florida State heads down to Miami. Big rivalry week, week, weekend coming up. There we go. Got the words out. On the other side of the show, October baseball is Woo! finally here. And it, did not, and it did not take its time getting underway as we had two 
two tiebreakers uh, playing today, but we'll get to that on the other side. Before that, we'll throw it over to Austin Reynolds in a minute or so in the fish tank for your seminal segment. Keep it tuned to 89.7. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Austin Reynolds, and this is your weekly edition of Tomahawk Talk's Seminole segment. Starting off in football, the Seminoles picked up a huge win over the Louisville Cardinals this past Saturday, 28-24, for their first conference win of the season. The Noles trailed by as many as 14 points late in the third quarter, but were able to rally thanks to three second-half touchdown passes from quarterback DeAndre Francois. The clinching score, a 58-yard catch-and-run from Francois to Nyquan Murray, was set up by an earlier interception made by safety A.J. Westbrook. After the game, head coach Willie Taggart was full of praise for his quarterback, who had been taking some heat from the media in recent weeks, saying that Francois was, quote, locked into what they had to do. Francois's career day, combined with the offense only committing one turnover, made up for the lackluster run game that has been a trend all season. Next up, the Knolls head to Miami for a matchup with their rival Hurricanes, who are currently ranked 17th in the AP poll. Kickoff is scheduled for 3.30 p.m. on Saturday, October 6th at Hard Rock Stadium. Moving on, the men's tennis team had a strong finish at the Bedford Cup yesterday, picking up wins in each of their last four singles matches, despite dropping their first two doubles sets. The strong showing down the stretch instilled confidence in coach Dwayne Holtquist, who was pleased with his players for, quote, having the fight to come back and win their matches. With the Bedford Cup in the rearview mirror, attention now shifts to the All-American qualifying draw, which began today. Representing FSU is junior Alex Naff, who completed his first match of the tournament against Texas Tech's Bjorn Thompson just a few hours ago. Despite facing a 4-1 deficit in the first set, Naff was able to complete the comeback and take a 7-5 victory, followed by a 6-4 result that sent him to the second round of qualification. If he is able to pick up two more match wins, Naff will advance to the main draw alongside teammate Lucas Poulon. That'll do it for this week's seminal segment. Once again, this is Austin Reynolds, and you're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk. Thank you so much for keeping it tuned on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Once again, October baseball. It's back. <laughs> well, I just want to give a quick shout out to Austin. That was really good. That was the first seminal segment that has been on the show for a little over a year, and that was fantastic way to reintroduce this something to the show that was very well done absolutely good uh, call. Just, thank just, you just, just give some props where it's due one of our uh, wonderfully fantastic anchors here at uh, WVFS Tallahassee There's a lot of talent here uh, at, at the radio station in our sports department always happy to showcase that whenever we can getting to baseball this just in 
the Dodgers are now NOS champions for the sixth year in a row. Sorry, I had to plug that in. I'm really excited. So you have to rub it in and raise your voice. Like, I mean, I, I know that the Marlins haven't been anywhere close. I mean, they've been relatively close a couple years ago, but just, just you had to, you had to, you, you know, had to I, salt in the wound here. Listen. It's a good team. It's, it is a good team, and they'll face they'll face the Braves coming up in the in the NLDS, which I'm excited about. Catherine, you're a big fan of the Braves, yes. big time fan, right? Yes. But you're from Mississippi. How did yeah. you, how did that fandom? Well, start? if you think about it, there's there's no other team in the South besides the Braves in Atlanta. I mean, you've got the Cardinals in St. Louis. No, and then you've got <laughs> no, and you've no. got Tampa and Miami, and and if I, I don't know, Mississippi's nothing like Tampa or Miami. No, so and you've been to a Braves game. Yeah, correct? I've been. Yeah, I went to I think like four or five this season. It was my first. It was my first time coming to the Battery. So wow. that's the new that's the new stadium, it's new area. It? It's it's amazing. It's really nice. It makes me so happy. Yeah. The one game that you told me that you went to that stood out to me. It was a little bit heartbreaking. It was Sean Newcomb's yes. game against the Dodgers when he had a near no-hitter no hitter yes. going into the final strike of the game. Mm-hmm. Bottom of the ninth, two outs. Chris Taylor up to the plate, and Chris Taylor gets a hit. It was yep. heartbreaking. I even I, I felt bad for the guy, but not really. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I'm a Dodgers fan. But, you know, he fought hard. Um, You're right. It was against the Dodgers. It was, yeah, it was against oh the Dodgers. Oh, my gosh. That's, why, that's what I was telling oh, you. Oh, that's the point. That's where this is. <laughs> Man, you're so good at this, Chris. Um, Yeah, he shot it right to left field. Left field. And yeah. it's excru- it was excruciating. But you were at that game. I was, we won. Yes. We, yeah, the Braves, by, they won. Yes, by a big margin. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I think it we won like the series, to, too. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I think... I think the Dodgers won, took Just the series, kidding. but it was a four-game series, and the Braves took the last one. And yeah, yeah, yeah. what a way to t- to take that last game! Very oh, yeah. impressive. But anyway, enough about the well, <laughs> enough about the Dodgers for right now. Um, yesterday, game 162 was played all around the league. Very, very sad. It's bittersweet day, I'll say, because you know, of course, like, you you take a look back at the season and. A lot of ups and downs for a lot of different teams on both in both leagues, but primarily the National League. The National League has been a different story than it has been in the past. Um, you know, in, in years past, you've had the Nationals who have, without, without any contention, have always taken the NL East. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers have been fairly dominant. I, I, you know, the, the Diamondbacks and the Rockies occasionally give them a run for their money, but as I mentioned, this is their sixth consecutive NOS title. Um, and then, you know, the Nationals, now you have the Nationals who have completely fallen off the face of the earth. The Braves surged as the season went on. And, I mean, the fact that the Dodgers had to play in an NL tiebreaker against the Colorado Rockies, it's the first time in history, actually, that there have been two tiebreakers uh, in MLB history. So, I mean, that's very exciting. And, you know, today you have the Brewers taking – that's not their first NL, NL Central title, is no. it? Mm. No. No. But, I mean, still very exciting when Gary, you actually called them taking the NL Central at the very beginning of the season. I didn't call them taking the NL Central. I said they're the team to watch out for this so year because they have the potential to shock the Cubs and win the NL Central. And so I'm going to take sure credit did. for that one. It was Yelich. That's what you saw. It was Yelich. Yeah, oh, playing, yeah. He's playing in a smaller ballpark this year. Exactly. Marlins Park is where baseballs go to die. <laughs> if, you try and hit a ball out of Marlin, if you try and hit something out of Marlins Park, good luck. You're going to need all of, all your muscle to hit it out of there. You're going to hit that big old fountain. 
<laughs> it's a sculpture. It's, it's, it's a sculpture? It's not a fountain. Is that... <laughs> Let's not talk about it. <laughs> Nick, you weren't too happy about, about Christian Yelich getting traded away. No, I, I mean, of course. I, seeing him do this well is fantastic, and I'm so happy to see him succeeding. But out of all the people that, that Derek Jeter shopped off in his fire sale to be at the, the <laughs> during during the uh, the middle of the the middle of the uh, the off season, I thought Christian Yelich was the one person that he should keep. And you know, it's a hindsight's 2020. You know, me and Gary were talking about this uh, Saturday night after the, the football game. Christian Yelich wouldn't be having this season that he's having in Miami, and that that. Is just that's not to say that he isn't a very talented player, but just his just his defensive alone, Gold Glove winner in the outfield, and he's been a solid hitter as always as long as he's been in Miami. I thought Marcelo Ozuna when he left that was a fantastic move on on Jeter's part. Ozuna was hot that year, and right now Miami definitely got the better part of that trade. And then of course the big guy leaving uh, Giancarlo Stanton that was a very hard move to stomach, but I eventually got over. But Yelich I thought was the one person that you could stay and build around. And he's gone now, and there's JT Real Muto, and there's there's some nice young pieces on that Marlins baseball team, but uh, Christian Yelich, that that one stings. Gary Gary Putnick holding up in Jeets, we trust. Tweet it. There's somebody doing it. <laughs> in Jeets, I, I I'm not so trusting yet, but well, I'll, maybe maybe I'll turn my tune. I'll come around. Four to five, four to five years. Well, I, well, I mean, five to six, five to six five years. To six. Oh man, that seems like so long. That five to six. So four, four or five left. All right, I'm gonna call you in five or six years. You know, you might have settled down by then. Who knows? I'm gonna call you and I'm gonna say, Hey, Gary, the Marlins still suck. <laughs> And if they don't, I'm going to call you and say, guess what? We don't suck. And then we'll celebrate wherever you are. We'll, we'll, we'll have a nice anyway, house party. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I did want to go around uh, and get everyone's take on what who has been, whether it's a player, a team, or a coach, that has been the biggest surprise or disappointment for you. We'll start uh, We'll start with Mike. Um, I mean, for me, I think the biggest uh, disappointment was the San Francisco Giants. They came into the season spending $203 million um, for their payroll, you know, getting McCutcheon and Longoria, and then finishing, you know, under 500 again for the second straight year was disappointing. Sure. Also, the Phillies, um, they came in August 5th. They were 15 games above 500 um, with Carlos Santana and their great pitching staff and had an absolute debacle finishing two games under 500. Um, for a surprise, I would say Matt Kemp. And the mm. comeback that he has had, returning back to Los Angeles. Yeah. No one was expecting him to make the spring training roster after the trade back in a salary dump acquisition. Um, also, I think uh, Oakland, too. Oakland surprised a lot winning over 90 games. Um, they're going to give the Yankees a run for their money in the wild card game. Yeah. Um, I, I want to counter um, what you said about um, the Phillies and how them being a, sort of a disappointment. So would you, if the Braves had fallen off like they were expected to after their, their surge, would you be saying the same thing about them? Um, I think coming into the season, uh, it was definitely between the Nats and the Mets. And the Mets started off well, but it was just a big disappointment. And then the Nationals didn't live up to the hype, even though they had all the pieces there. 
It, um, is just it was the most popular. I don't know what happened in Philadelphia from August till now. I think it would have been a great story coming into this uh, postseason if they had made it because they were really dangerous at the time, winning a lot of games. Yeah, they, they were definitely in an upward trajectory, but then just fell off. I, I, they, I think we said that they finished two games under third place. Third place. Third place. Third place. But I mean, it was the first year for Gabe Kapler, too. Um, he was getting booed the first game of the season by the home fan base. So it was an up-and-down year for Philly, but I think they're heading in the right direction, too. Sure. I'd say my surprise of the season was really the Rays. The Rays turned it up oh, this yeah. season. Blake Snell, 1.89 ERA. Was it 21 wins? Like That's impressive. He's certainly in the hunt for the Cy Young this year in the AL, and really they were they were expected to really be the bottom of the barrel there like they were supposed to be worse than the Orioles and the Orioles had the worst record in baseball that's yeah that's so, something and they finished what was it uh i think they finished yeah 90 Nine. wins 90 Nine. wins 72 losses that's really good big time for Tampa same as the Braves same record yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there we go um yeah I think I think I don't know I think the, definitely the Braves are one of the most surprising um for sure with Acuna um him hitting lead off after um all-star break huge move that definitely sustained all of all of the surging all everything that they built up at the beginning of the season it definitely um helps them get to the playoffs right now um i think i think yeah overall the nls is very surprising with the mets um i think i think what's surprising is degrom never quit and it's so look at them it's so easy to quit so easy to want to because it's all pitching is definitely a lot of it's mental and it's so yeah yeah they for sure love them um but i think i think in terms of the nl east that has to be one of the most surprising divisions and two or three teams on that oh maybe even four four out of the five are surprised us all so yeah, i think and, and I, I do want to go back to the braves and that their general manager I, alex yes forget i don't i have no uh, how to pronounce his alex Anthopoulos. there you go first year as a gm dodger <laughs> yeah, exactly coming from the dodgers organization yeah. and man the the guy he produced a, a first place uh, brave team after that scandal over the right. off season, yeah, yeah, no, that's it's, it's a Tra- big time. I, I got to give him big kudos oh, yeah. for for the work that he's done in Atlanta, especially during the trade deadline. Um, we could have taken oh, who's the guy uh, Archer. You know the Braves. Yeah, yeah, the Braves yeah. could have taken Archer. He went to the Pirates. Where are they now? They're. I mean, yeah, it it, it came down to the Cubs and um, Milwaukee. So. Um, I definitely think that his trades were very, very smart. Um, and with Gosman, he got from the Orioles. Brad, Bo- Brad Brock, he got from the Orioles. Um, that was a bit of a fire sell on their part as well with Manny Machado. Um, yeah. Good things happening in Atlanta. Exactly. That's for sure. Very excited for the postseason for them. Nick. <sighs> you got this, bud. Oh, boy. Here we on. go. I need a, just a little bit of hype up. I almost zoned out. I'm not going to lie with you. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, baseball. Here we go. I told you. This yeah, is me I, talking th- about this, this is baseball. This is, if you're listening at home, you might just want to send a quick prayer that Nick is actually going to get baseball right here. Uh, as for as for a surprise this season, I'm going to have to piggyback off of uh, what Gary said. The Rays have been absolutely 
surprising this year. Many people thought that they were going to be right next to the Marlins when it when it came to losing about 100 games this season. But here they are, um, third. I mean, of course, when you're, when you're in division with the Red Sox and the Yankees, that's not a, a, a very easy division to win at all, especially seeing how dominant Boston has been uh, this season. But the Rays, absolutely, uh, if they were playing in a d different division, they would definitely be in the playoffs. Uh, as far as uh, another surprise, um, the Seattle Mariners had a great stretch in baseball. I think something like 17 wins in a row, something like that. Did I get that right? Should I? Okay, get the soundboard. Get the, get the soundboard. Get the get the get the applause in the. No, in the there was track. definitely some some shaking up going on in the AL and the AL East. The Houston did not have such a tight grasp on the AL East as they as on the AL West. I'm sorry, as they as they did before. Um, the, you know, people thought the Angels were going to compete really early on with the addition of Shohei Otani. Poor that Mike Trout. Yeah, that poor guy. Uh, that did not pan out quite how they expected it. But now you have Oakland, who I was going to say is probably one of my bigger surprises. Is That is a team that, you know, is consistently third place, fourth place in the AL East. And I, I think this was, this was big, big for them. They're playing uh, in, the, in the AL wild card. And I agree with you, Kat. I think that they can give the Yankees a run for their money in this wild card game. Well, let's call it with the A's. They do this every now and then. It's like every like three or four years, they'll just come out of nowhere and right. make a run at the playoffs. So, like mm -hmm. this is just Moneyball doing being Moneyball at this point. It's funny, I'm watching Moneyball in one of my classes. I'm like, maybe love that. <laughs> Billy being at work. Such a good one. <laughs> Mike, you got something? Just for the record, that's the last time they played the Yankees in the playoffs was when Moneyball happened. Um, another thing too is I think their payroll for the year was sixty-six million dollars. Um, so yeah, not much was expected, but the bullpen has just been absolutely insane with training, Rodney, and Familia. But then also, um, in Seattle, piggybacking off of what Nick was saying, I think what killed them was Robinson Cano's uh, PED suspension. Absolutely. They, they were on fire, and then that was like a whole other story after that. No, absolutely. Um, biggest disappointment for me, um, you know, I'll, I'll add on to the Giants, maybe just because because <laughs> we're also Dodgers fans, but Evan Longoria, he did not pan out quite like how San Francisco thought he was going to pan out. It was very rough for him. Andrew McCutcheon was doing some things for them pretty early on. He had that he had that walk-off home run against the Dodgers that, like, blew up on Twitter because he hit it and just gave this monster roar because he knew it was out of the park. Um, and now McCutcheon with uh, with the Yankees, uh, he's, their, he's their starting center fielder, is it? I feel like he was. He split time with Brett Gardner at this I point. So. Or is, I think so. I, I feel like Brett Gardner's going to get the majority of the time there, yeah. but McCutcheon will step in every now and then, maybe as a pincher. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. and they have one of the worst. Uh, oh, what do you call them? Bullpens, starting rotations, closer, farm systems. Farm Lord, system. yeah, they have one of the worst farm systems. Are we talking about the Yankees? Sorry, the Giants. Oh, well, yeah, like, oh, no, we're talking about the Giants. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they do not look good at no, all. Their future does not look good well, at all. And what what's crazy is the fact that this is a team that every other year was winning a world series yeah you know <laughs> yeah it felt like every two or three years or something it, it was it was yeah it was quite it was, quite, it was probably every, I, and i remember it was 2010 2012 2014 if i'm not mistaken and i remember i mean those were the peak high school days and it, <laughs> it's like what they're winning again this is i mean it was really one of the best stretches in recent baseball memory yeah buster posey too his health on the decline, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah sadly. Just, absolutely. Yeah, sadly. I, I, I always 
always tell people I hate the Giants, but I will always root for Buster Posey. Unless there's bases loaded against the Dodgers and he's up for that. Anyway, we move on to the MLB postseason, which is now finally set in stone. We'll start, I want to take it league by league. Uh, we'll start with the American League, which is now, again, uh, set, which has been set in stone for, for quite a bit. Nick is panicking to pull up <laughs> the bracket. Can you come to me last, please? <laughs> no, actually, we're going to you first. Okay, uh, thanks. <laughs> uh, so we'll start with the wild card this Wednesday, Yankees against Oakland. I've already put in my vote. I am pulling for an Oakland upset over New York. I think... Um, I think based on, I don't know what this season series is, but Oakland has the potential. They've got the offense. Chris Davis on fire. Um, not that he's the only hot bat there, but I think I think Oakland can take this game. Yeah, um, going into Yankee Stadium is going to be a home game for New York, but um, in the playoffs, it can be a bullpen matchup, and Oakland's got that. But Yankees are very reliant on the home run ball, and one game can really you know can be a big difference you can really go dry at the plate and maybe they're going to be a little bit too reliant on the home run ball and i think the a's will pull out the victory for the a's it's going to be difficult for them they're going to have to control the long ball especially in because yankee stadium is such a small ballpark so it's so easy for just little bloop singles from aaron judge where he just pokes it out there to just hop over that right field fence but I think for the A's, if they want to win this game, if they, I think the pitcher that they need to go with is Mike Fires right now to start, because he has been pitching really well. And when he pitches, they win ball games. It feels like. I think was it in the games that he started this year? He's on, the team that he's pitched for has only lost two games that he started. Was it you that was telling me that you worked not worked with Mike Fires, but you had some sort of connection with Mike? Him? Yes, he came. So my high school coach was really good friends with him because of high school and all that. So he came for three straight years and visited us during our spring just going into spring ball mm -hmm. and he actually uh, was our, i he gave me his cleats one year which i wore throughout my senior year um then my senior year he also came and helped us rework our fields like i helped rebuild a mountain with mike fires and he actually threw uh live scrimmages against us as well so yeah and have that work out for you guys we hit pretty well off him oh really yeah it wasn't too bad it was actually pretty good and this, well, was not, watch out. This, was, this was okay that was sorry that was my sophomore year of high school that was this uh, that was the year after he hit stanton in the face gotcha. that, we were told not to bring well, that up to him oh uh, well i well i'm sure he was excited Thanks. to be in florida right. pitching against uh high schoolers right. right they might charge the mound just all they'll dug out at once cat who you got um, I've got the Yankees. Mostly, I got them mostly also because I bet Michael Hudak. I like we did a bet, and so that's why he's a huge Yankee fan. Oh, I changed my bitmoji to a Yankee fan. Um, so yeah. I noticed that. I was, yeah. I was wondering what that was about. It, but, yeah. Okay. I didn't do it, though. So. I also don't think the, <laughs> the Yankees have a set-in-stone number one starting pitcher. It's kind of going back and forth right now between Severino and Tanaka, yeah. and Severino's been pretty cons inconsistent throughout the year. So is Tanaka, too. Like, exactly. Tanaka's a very hittable pitcher. Like From what I've seen, when his slider isn't working, he really re relies on that two-seam fastball, and that ball, that's pretty easy to hit for most people. Absolutely. Yeah, Nick. Uh, I, I'm gonna add, I'm gonna rebuttal your question with another question, which is how come Google cannot give me a picture of the 2018 MLB <laughs> bracket? 
I'm, I'm having to look off of Chris's computer right I'll, now. I'll, I'll rebuttal your question <laughs> with another with question. With another question. Which is, uh, which is what are you typing? Which is what? <laughs> I, I said MLB playoff bracket 2018. I, first link, but First link. But it's okay. okay. No, it's okay. Well, you and okay. I can share. I was, look, I was looking at images. Yeah. Anyways, um, A's and ath- uh, Athletics and Yankees. I want to see the Yankees. I mean, I personally want to see the Yankees win this game. I think they will win this game. I think they're going to get a decent start from whichever pitcher they, they throw on the mound, whether it's Tanaka or not. And I also think that that, that next round matchup between the, the Red Sox and the Yankees, that's just going to be so interesting for a lot of reasons. Just blood might be spilt uh, based just based on the prior history between, and I mean, there's just so much history. I mean, I don't even have to say that much about it, but uh, I, I think the Yankees are going to win this as, as as much of a surprise as the Athletics have been this season. Um, and also the the fan, and you could say that laughingly, the, the baseball fan in me would love to see the the Red Sox and the Yankees in the, uh, the division. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll skip to, to the ALCS, but we'll do that by saying who do you think is going to win each of the two matchups. So you got Cleveland versus Houston, and either the A's, let, let's assume... No, I don't want to assume. But let's say, and and who do you think will win it between either the A's slash Yankees and the Red Sox? Uh, I think I think we're gonna see Houston versus Boston in the ALCS. I think that Boston is just too strong on so many different levels. Just the season that Mookie Betts has had, and just as well as the, you know, we we already said just a couple minutes ago how inconsistent the Yankees pitching has been, and you need pitching to win games. Um, so I think that. It's going to be a very, very hard-fought series between the Yankees and the Boston Red Sox, but we're going to be seeing uh, the Astros versus the Red Sox in the ALCS. I think Cleveland will actually surprise people and make this series against Houston a little bit closer. Cleveland has really good starting pitchers, but Houston is really deep. I think Houston will win, um, taking it five games. Um, And then I also think Boston, who is the deepest team in the AL, will win against the wildcard team. so they're just too stacked, especially offensively, with the production JD Martinez had this season. What a guy! I got Houston winning handily over Cleveland, just because they got the moment. They're gonna have momentum going into it. They're just gonna run right through them, and then Boston over the wild card team. And uh, I just Boston's way too good, but it's gonna rely if they're gonna whoever wins that series. Chris Sale is going to have to be healthy for them. He's been so fragile this back half of the season. He's got to stay healthy if they want to have a chance. Uh, I think the Red Sox are going to go all the way. Um, I I don't think a lot of people would disagree with me on that. Maybe, maybe not. Um, and then, yeah, I'll pick Houston. Okay, fair enough. I, I would agree. I think we are going to see Boston-Houston. I think I would agree that the Cleveland-Houston game uh, is going to go to five games, and I can see the Red Sox, I, if not sweeping the Yankees, at least taking it three to one. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, three to one. Three to one. I can do math. Um, but Cat bringing it all the way to bringing it all the way to your world to your AL World Series representative, Boston Red Sox. Who do you who do y'all have making it all the way between Boston and Houston? Um, I, 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 I can't go against the Red Sox at this point for what I've seen. I mean, Justin Verlander has had a fantastic season at the, at the front of the rotation for the Houston Astros, and they have very strong pitching. But, I mean, it, it's, it's, it comes to a point where pitching can get you so far. I know I just said that pitching wins you games, and it does. But when you have the equality and the level of, of, of talent in, in the, the pitching staff, it becomes to just basically, at the end of the day, baseball is who can hit the ball better. And 
in that sense, I'm going to have to choose the Red Sox over the Astros. I mean, it's in his blood. I think it's also going to be a bullpen series too between Houston and Boston. Um, Houston has really uh, improved their bullpen over the year, um, especially adding Roberto Zuno. Um, I think the baseball fan in me wants the Red Sox to win, and they haven't been cold all year long. But I think Houston uh, is just too powerful, especially with their pitching staff. I think they're going to win. I think that's the Dodger fan in you wanting a rematch in the World Series. I mean, I would like a Dodgers-Yankees World Series in a perfect world, but we can't have that. I like Houston in this one. I think they got, they have such a stacked roster. And with Boston, like what you mentioned, Mike, that Boston hasn't been cold really this year so far. It's got to happen sometime. And it happened last time against the Reds. And the Red Sox got cold last time whenever they played Houston in the NLDS last year. Or the ALDS. So I think Houston's going to be able to take this one. That's the weird thing about motorsports, too. It's like you can go. Red Sox. Yes. Already said Short and sweet. Yep. Um, you know, give me Houston in this one for the reasons that Gary gave. I think uh, that starting rotation, that bullpen is is stacked, and I mean they've they've still got players who can hit. Carlos Correa, I would add to the list of disappointments uh, this season. But you know, when you've got guys like like Altuve, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think you can ever count the Astros out. Really, we move over to the National League. We'll try to wrap through this one real quick. Uh, who do we have? We're just going to skip to the NLCS. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, Kat, but I see the Dodgers pulling through. I agree with you. <laughs> I see the Dodgers pulling through to the, to the NLCS. Um, and honestly, I see Milwaukee making it. Oh, yeah. I think Milwaukee can make it to the NLCS. Uh, whether it's up against the Cubs or the Rockies, I think their bullpen is just too deep. That's uh, Josh Hader has been an all-star all year. Uh, except for maybe in the All-Star game. Hater! But, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I mean, they, they can they can rake like nobody's business, too. Christian Yelich. Yeah. So close to the Triple Crown. An RBI away from it. I think the moves that the Brewers made this year, getting Yelich, signing Lorenzo Cain, um, trading for scope of the trade deadline, they have all they need to make a deep run right now. I think um, they will beat the wild card team. They've won 10 out of their last 11, too. They're just... Like completely hot right now. They gave the Cubs a run for their money today. Um, and then I think the Dodgers will take care of the uh, the Braves. Um, every game, it seems like another Dodger player steps up, whether that's Max Muncie or Manny Machado now, Brian Dozier. They have the deepest roster, I think, um, in the bigs. It's definitely an next man up uh, situation. If any, Does anybody else have any objections? to Dodgers Milwaukee. I got Cubs Braves. Cubs Braves. I think the I think the Cubs are going to the Cubs are going to come back. They own we forget the Cubs own the season series against the Brewers. They know how to beat them. I think they're going to be able to do it. It's going to they're going to clinch it in Chicago. I don't know which game, but it's going to be in Chicago. And I think the Braves are going to be able to pull up an upset against the Dodgers solely because the Dodgers rely way too much on the long ball. We talked about this coming into the station today. You can't rely on the long ball in the postseason. It can only take you so far. Well, 
sorry. Oh, well, I was just going to say, just because we're running out of time, dangerously low, I'm, I, I think that the Cubs can be one of the most dangerous teams in baseball when they're hot, and I think that applies to any team in baseball when you're hot, you're hot. But uh, this Cubs team is still very strong from when they won it all a couple of years ago, and don't be surprised if they really, especially with Milwaukee being a team that they see a lot, don't be surprised if Milwaukee, although they have had a fantastic season, I think that's mostly due to Christian Yelich and the way that he's played, but don't be surprised if the Cubs can get out of that series and you're going to, I think, the Braves, um, as incredible as they season that they had, you know, getting into the playoffs after a, a hiatus, um, I think it's going to be Dodgers-Cubs uh, in the uh, NLCS. Speed around, no explanation. Who do you have winning this World Series? Boston. Boston or Brewers. Wow. Mm-hmm. Houston Astros. Houston Astros. Los Angeles Dodgers Los break the 30-year wow. streak. The 30-year uh, drought. Imagine the uh, you know what? I'm going to hop on that Dodgers talk <laughs> say that, but realistically, I'm going to say the winner's coming out of the coming out of the American League. Uh, that being said, that wraps up this episode of Tomahawk Talk. Thank you so much for being here and making my first time as host. Such a memorable experience. Very happy to be here with you. Coming up on the other side, new release is up next.